You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. That's going to be on the screen for you too, so you can kind of follow along. Um, basically what we're doing is we're diving back into our study in Ezra. One of the rhythms that I love about what we do here is we just pick a book of the Bible, we start at the beginning, we just start working our way through and try to see what God's going to say to us. And the crazy thing is, is we chose Ezra, you know, we looked at it, um, we, we checked out what was in the book a little bit, and we realized there are some really difficult passages to work with. Like, these are passages you would not preach if you were just like trying to cherry pick whatever you wanted to look at in the Bible. There are passages like that. This week, thankfully, after being away for a couple of weeks, this week is not one of those. <laughs> this week is a, is a passage that I, I look forward to preaching. And uh, look forward to studying with you. So we're going to be in Ezra chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 6 through 13. I don't want to make us feel too Catholic or anything, but if you all would stand with me for the reading of God's word, and then I'll let you be seated again one final time after that. Beginning in verse 6, like I said, um, it'll be on the screen as well for you. From the first day of the seventh month, they begin to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, these are great names, aren't they? <laughs> made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Can I just pause for Didn't we just sing that? We're just saying that. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Amen. I want to pray a blessing over his word, and then you can be seated here in a moment. Father, Lord, thank you for your word. And uh, Father, I just ask that you would come, fill this place with your presence, fill this place with your spirit. Father, turn our hearts to the work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb, and give us again the hope of heaven. Um, Lord, I pray that you would come and by the power of your spirit, the power of the empty tomb, God, I ask that you would remove any kind of hindrances uh, that would be within us uh, to hear from you. Help us to hear a word from you. Help us to hear a, a word from our Father in heaven. And Lord, I pray that you would do a healing work, a transforming work, a strengthening work inside of us. Lord, I pray that you would do that and more. I pray, Father, that you would take uh, the words of my mouth I pray that you would take the meditations of my heart, Lord, that you would sanctify those, that you would use them and, and, and use them for good uh, in the lives of, of your people here. Uh, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you, you may be seated. 
So it has been, uh, uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've stood here um, on this stage, uh, simply because we had a, a round of COVID roll through our house. And uh, uh, I, I just wanted to draw attention before diving into the explanation of this text real quick. I just want to draw attention to the provision of God in our church family. Uh, it was something that I was just kind of sitting back, thinking about, praying through, and just honestly taking some joy in this week because, um, man, like n- nobody skipped a beat, right? Like this pulpit, this stage had good, faithful men that preached the Bible. Um, uh, I think in some regards better than I do. Um, and going back and listening to Larry's message as he came in and preached, and then listening to Donnie's message, and then listening to Patrick's message from last week, I, I couldn't be more overjoyed at the way that God has provided uh, faithful men who would lead, who would step in even in the last moment and pick up a text and be faithful to it and communicate out of the wealth of their own walk with Jesus and uh, to feel, to feel that, that this, like, this is God's thing, right? It's got nothing to do with me. So it's just for me to be gone for a couple of weeks and, and just see that in, in that moment happen was was good, and I'm thankful that God's given us that blessing. And uh, thank you to you guys who filled the pulpit. Patrick, you did such a fantastic job last week. Thank you. Um, it was good. I received a ton from you. And Donnie, too. Passage in front of us, right? I don't want to waste any more of our time. Passage in front of us. What's it about? What's happening? Right? To summarize, I think, uh, when you look at this passage... Um, I think it's all about the time and the talent and the treasure that Israel is uh, investing into the rebuilding of the temple, specifically the laying of the foundation of the temple in Jerusalem, right? So it's about that, but it's also about the response of the people when they see that building take place. Um, you, you ever set out to build something? Yeah. A few years back, Lewis and I built a uh, workbench in, in our garage, um, just a father and son project together. Um, it was a good time, and, and the workbench is still standing, probably because of Lewis's um, expertise, not so much mine. You ever set out to build something, though? Um, see, whenever you set out to build something, uh, I, I think you... On the front edge, you, you, you know that it's super important not to skimp, right? Like on the front edge of building something, when you just kind of go, okay, we're going to go build this thing, it's vitally important that you don't skimp on that front edge, that you don't try to cut corners on the front edge of building that, right? Whether you're maybe in the beginning stages of, let's say, uh, building a family, Or maybe you're in the early stages of building a a marriage or some relationship. Or maybe you're building a business or or a career. Let's say you're building a a non-profit. Maybe you're even just building up an old automobile in your garage. Or regardless of where you all are at in what you might be engaged in building right now, I think we all could agree... If you cut corners or if you skimp kind of on the beginning stages, on the foundational parts that are probably not going to be seen later, then you're going to have major issues down the road, right? I was thinking about this over the last week in light of all the memories of planting this church. Nine years. We just passed our nine-year anniversary as a church family. Yeah, and we're still here, despite my screw-ups, okay? (laughs) So... I just remember, I just thought over nine years, I mean, I could fill volumes and volumes of what it's been like for nine years to start a church out of nothing, right? I remember starting out four other adults, my wife and I, four other adults in our living room. Actually, the first meeting was on a park bench, I think, in one of the parks here in town. And uh, one of the gals that brought our communion meal to begin with brought a loaf of uh, sandwich bread, you know, instead of the regular roll of bread, you know, it was just, and this song that we sang today, uh, uh, you're, you're, well, one, one thing, um, and she had a beautiful voice, this gal, and uh, we said, you know, you ought to help lead some songs. And so she's singing the song, and I, and I couldn't help but hear it. It sounded like she was saying, instead of one thing, she was saying one thing, like, like the name Juan, 
And so I remember asking afterwards, I was like, hey, what, are, are you saying one? And she's like, yeah, isn't that, isn't that what it is? I'm like, no, it's not one thing. It's one thing. <laughs> you know? Those are just some of the memories, you know? They, they kind of just make you, you know, they make you laugh. You think about it. Four other adults, six of us, we call this the core six. That's, we were big and we were bad. No, we weren't. I mean, we were just people. Um, I remember the six or seven places we met um, over the years as we grew. I remember some of the, some of the joy of seeing new, uh, seeing new believers' faces as we were baptizing them as they're coming up out of the water. You know, I remember, I remember the day that we all received the deed to this property, these buildings, for free, a gift. So things that have happened over those years that I would have never dreamed of seeing take place. It's miraculous, right? I also remember in the midst of that some of the most painful and lonely seasons of leadership, right? I won't spend too long there. Y'all know we could spend a long time there. You set out to build something from scratch from the ground up, and it's, uh, it's bound to have some heartache in the midst of that, bound to have some setbacks. We, we definitely faced our fair share of those. You know, I remember seasons. Well, this is off script, but I, I remember seasons where we Got down to like three, four hundred bucks in the bank. We're like, yo, are we still going to exist next month? You know, I need to go find a different career. Um, you know, it did not just hard on us as a church family, but just hard on a family, you know. I'm looking at my wife and going, I don't know if we were supposed to do this. Maybe we were supposed to do something else. You need to go drive a UPS truck or a beer truck, for heaven's sakes. Those guys make good money, as I've learned recently. Um, and beer in a beer truck doesn't talk back to you either. Hey, I'm just kidding, okay? Jeez Louise. And you probably get good, I'm going to stop. You probably get good bonuses, I'm assuming. Um, I just remember, you know, tough years, painful years, painful episodes, right? Uh, Friends that needed to be disciplined, corrected, confronted, held accountable, right? Melting their lives down, giving you the finger, um, talking trash as they go. Usually you'd have some of that. We face that. Many of us know the pain and the heartache from that. People who attended for a while even never were contributing to anything. Typically were definitely consumers, kind of taking, never investing back in just to find some crazy reason to leave. Usually, once again, talking trash. And usually they talk trash about the guy who's on the stage the most. So that's par for the course. Um, Or the pain of walking um, through just different seasons with folks, right? Fighting through different things. Um... You know, various addictions that would keep creeping back up and knocking people down. Step into those messes. And I remember stepping into a garage with a guy who was struggling with meth. He'd been sitting in that garage for three days. And uh, I just, it was devastating um, for him and his family. Broken relationships, painful losses, whether that be job loss, friend loss, marriage loss. Pain and the hardship of walking through sinful patterns, you know? I mean, you walk a certain way, you live a certain way for a long time. Your life gets used to just being this way, and it, it takes time, right? So I just remember, I remember some of those things. At the end of the day, building a church uh, in the midst of the, what, I, what you could say, like, like the ash heaps of human brokenness, like that definitely has its ups and it has its downs for sure, Right? And the last nine years has definitely been costly, costed us. It hasn't just cost me, it's costed us as a church family. I look around this room and I see faces. It's cost us in many different ways. There's never a shortage of the need for faithful leaders, right? Never a shortage for that. Always need more faithful, solid leaders who will stick and stay and do what they say they're going to do. I, you know, and I, and I can't tell you, and some of you could probably tell stories, but I can't tell you how many times I'm certain that I needed to repent and probably did sometimes um, course correct, repent, um, after getting sidetracked from God's main calling on our lives. Um, and we, we, we say things like, you know, we want to be a family of broken people from all walks of life. It's a, it's a key phrase we, we try, kind of try to use to get worked into the fabric of, of our language. You know, we want to be a family 
uh, of broken people from all walks of life who exist to glorify God as we run a rescue mission within a yard of hell. It's a really sweet statement, right? And it's really cool when it's tattooed on your arm, right? I've heard those stories, and they're fun. Um, and we want to share the gospel. We want to plant disciples. We want to train leaders. We want to multiply missionaries. And we, we got these statements that we have on paper, and I always ask the question, like, are we actually working that out? Is that actually who we're becoming, right? And so I've oftentimes had to, like, course correct, repent, say, I'm sorry, hey, I got us kind of heading this way. We should have been going this way. Um, building something is costly. It requires leadership, and it also requires a rock-solid focus on what's important, right? That's kind of the big idea that I'm going to work with today coming out of this text. It's really what we see in the text in front of us as we take another look at it here in a minute. <coughs> Sorry for the coughing, it's left over COVID, right? Like Israel spends a bunch of resources to build the foundation of the temple, and then what do they do? They, they organize leaders to then oversee that process of building, and then, then some of them actually respond to the progress of the building project by doing what? Praising God. Big old-fashioned worship gathering, you know, so loud everybody can hear. But I don't want us to forget where we're at in the story. Since we started in chapter 1 and started studying this a few weeks back, like Patrick was faithful to do last week too, and just giving a quick brief overview and a reminder, I don't want us to forget where we're at in this story, right? Because there's history behind this episode, and history teaches us something. What have we learned so far in this study? But after 70 years in captivity because of Israel's disobedience, so they were disobedient, they disobeyed God, they went into 70 years of captivity. What does God do? God moves on the heart of a pagan king, speaks to him, instructs him to set Israel free, and to send her back to her homeland with the necessary resources for the journey, as well as some of the resources for the rebuilding project, as well as like an edict, right? A, the permission to actually rebuild that temple in their home city, in their homeland. What did we learn? We learned that if God can speak and work through a pagan king, an enemy king, um, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, whether you're a Trump or Biden person, doesn't matter. Whoever you think is the enemy, <coughs> God can speak through that person and work through that person, and he sure as heck can certainly speak and work through you and I, right? Like that's the encouragement. He can speak and work through you and I in mightier ways than you um, may know. I want you to remember two. Um, remember the list of names in chapter two? Seven, Donnie does. Donnie's like, yeah. <laughs> As Donnie preached that, poor guy. Man, it's like praying for you the whole time. 70 verses of names that are unintelligible, okay? Like, you can't, you can't pronounce them. And he, and he read through that whole list and preached. And, and we, we were reminded, we were reminded that your name and my name, if, if we have trusted in the crucified, risen, and returning Savior, then, then our names are on a list too in heaven, right? Like, we're just like the Israelites. We're no different than they are. Oftentimes, we want to identify with the heroes in the Bible, like David, um, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, or whoever. Apostle Paul planted all sorts of churches. That's probably who I identify with quite a bit, right? I want to identify with the hero. You know, and the reality is, the way the Bible was written, there's only one hero. Those other guys did pretty good, but they were still pretty broken too. The reality is, you and I are meant to identify not with the heroes of the Bible. We're meant to identify with the losers of the Bible. We're meant to be reminded that we really don't have it all together. We really aren't as good as we think we are. And that's the only reason that we need a man named Jesus, right? That's, that's the overarching story of the Bible. It's harder to preach that. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. Most people want to hear, hey, get your best life now. <laughs> Cha-ching, drop your cash in the box for Mr. Osteen. 
can't say that. I did. We're more like the Israelites, right? At the end of the day, if we've trusted in Jesus, then we've been set free by the cross, by the empty tomb of Jesus. Therefore, going back to that text in in chapter 2, our names are on a list right alongside other names. Like if you're here and you're a believer, you trust in Jesus, you can look around this room and you can look into the eyes of other people, right? Other people who once were enslaved to their sin, in captivity, in prison because of the brokenness in our lives, right? And yet somewhere in the midst of that, Jesus steps in and we trusted in him. He ransomed us back out of that place we were stuck in. He redeemed us, right? By the work at the cross. And then in the midst of that, he's transformed us from sinners into saints. So what is the expected response of somebody who actually gets that, right? If it's not like just floating way over your head or bouncing off the forehead or bouncing off a really stone-cold dead heart, what is the response of someone who's like, yeah, that's, that's me. I, I was dead. I was never even on a list. Now I'm on a list that says I'm going to be with my Father forever in heaven because of Jesus? What's the expected response of someone who's been ransomed and redeemed from the ash heaps of sinful rebellion? What is that expected response? The answer is what we saw in the first six verses of chapter 3. That's what Patrick preached last week. Israel built an altar. Israel built an altar, and they sacrificed on it day and night. Is this massively bloody image, blood flowing day and night all the time from that sacrificial system that God had put into place in Israel, right? And what is that a picture of? It's a picture that foreshadows the cross of Christ. Sometimes we have a tendency to like Hollywood eyes, probably not a word, but I just made up a word, to kind of Hollywood eyes the cross and make it less horrific than it really was, less bloody than it really was less shameful than it really was. And the reality is when Israel set up that altar in the beginning of chapter 3, what's happening is they're foreshadowing the work of Jesus at the cross. A bloody, bloody, bloody symbol. And they sacrificed and they worshipped in the midst of the rubble and the brokenness of the old temple that had been destroyed there throughout their years of captivity. And the main question for us from last week basically was like, hey, what kind of rubble has God redeemed you from? What kind of jacked up mess do you have in your life where you're like, God, would you please come and fix this thing? Right? What is it that you're asking him to redeem you from, to save you from? And, and let me ask this too. Like, what's actually stopping you from giving your life to him in worship in the midst of that mess? What actually, what's the barrier that could be there for you? So this is everything that's preceded the text in front of us today. Israel hasn't built their own homes. They haven't established their own livelihood yet. They're completely focused on rebuilding the temple, completely focused on worshiping God amidst that jacked up mess as they rebuild their lives and rebuild the temple. I think what's probably happening there to set the sense and set the tone is there's like this massive sense of worshipful excitement, right? That's what's in the air. It's this worshipful excitement as they begin to tangibly invest in the work of building the foundation of the temple. It's like that day when you get that boyfriend or that girlfriend, right? It's like, oh, I'm so excited. I can't stop thinking about him or her all day long. Yeah, I know. That's what it was like. They couldn't get this off their minds. They're so excited for this. It's captivated their entire souls. Question. What is it that you believe God is calling you to build right now? What is it that you believe God is calling you to build right now? Maybe he's calling you to invest in your own daily walk with him, right? Maybe he's calling you to invest in building a new ministry. Maybe he's calling you to invest in rebuilding your family, some broken relationship. So God is always after us to be investing in and building something. What's he calling you to build right now? Because the reality is that building something is costly. Building something requires leadership. And building something requires intense focus. 
Let's look at these three things quick. Think about how building something is super costly, right? You ever struggle with uh, the cost that's involved in building something? Like, think about it that way. Ever struggle with that? Just the, just the sheer cost of it, right? Like when you look at verse 6, what you see is the people of Israel worshiping God as they participate in the burnt offerings and bloody sacrificial system of the altar, right? And then you flip into, into verse 7, and what do you see? You see all of Israel is giving all this money, they're giving all these food, all these drinks to the laborers who are actually going to do the work of building the temple foundation. Now, if I was a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher like you see on TV with the guys with their fancy jets and their great suits and their big bank accounts and their gold rings and all those things, I'd just stop right here and just pass the offering basket around, right? I'd just be like them. We ain't going to do that. We do have gift boxes, though, so you can use them if you'd like to. Hey, I'm not going to miss an opportunity. I ain't stupid. All right. <laughs> now, I, here's what I don't know. I, I, and I suppose maybe if I did some better study, maybe I'd know. I don't, I don't really know how much money was given. I don't know how much food and drink was given. Um, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. I, I, suffice it to say, it was probably a lot. Can everybody just say a lot? Yeah, it was probably a lot, because I, I, you know, I think a building project of this capacity probably costs something quite a bit, right? Um, before I went into full-time vocational ministry, um, I worked in the trades, right? I was there for a number of years. I was a sheetrocker. No, I don't want to do your sheetrock for you, so please don't. No, I'm kidding. If you got patches and stuff you need done, you can call me, but um, I'm not a fan of doing sheetrock anymore. Sucked in enough dust, ate enough drywall mud, jacked up my shoulders, still paying the price for that today. Um, built my own drywall business. Um, well, I know the cost of building a, a, a new home, that ain't cheap, right? So you imagine that what's going on in Israel, this home for God, this house of God they're going to build, well, it's pretty costly. I, I think Donnie's got some stats on, on what the decor, just the decor was like billions of dollars, right? Solomon's was, yeah. The, the first temple, right? Yeah, so... And it wasn't much bigger. My understanding is it wasn't much bigger than this church building we're sitting in. So we don't have to think like, you know, massive mega church size and billions of dollars. Can you imagine like trying to figure out how do you do decor for billions of dollars in a building this size, right? So I'm just thinking this second go around, um, probably pretty costly, probably not cheap. Once again, when you set out to build something, whether it's a home or a business, a family or a friendship, it's going to cost you something, Right? So I was thinking about this, and here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, you know the hard part for me at times, there, there's a couple of things that I, I find hard when it comes to this cost of building something. Um, one is calculating the cost on the front edge, you know, kind of doing the projections, like this is what it's actually going to take, um, and then preparing myself for the commitment of investing uh, whatever I need to invest into what I think I'm called to build. <coughs> sometimes, here's another one, sometimes when I get into building something, um, I wonder if I can handle the cost, actually. Like, I, I, I begin to get a clear picture. I mean, I have a clear picture on the front edge, but once I get into it, I start to get a clearer picture, and I'm like, whoa, this is going to take more time, more energy, more resource than I thought, more, more emotional expense, more physical time than I thought it was going to take, do I really have what it takes to do this, right? I start thinking that way. Um, and then I think if, I'm, if I continue to chase this bunny trail down and I, and I take it to one, maybe a deeper point, a more personal point for me, if I'm completely honest, maybe you can identify with this, I think sometimes I get like almost like bitter or, uh, um, I don't know what the right word is, but bitter's bitter's close enough. Like I just... I get jacked up because somewhere in the midst of investing in the process of, of building, um, it winds up being slower than I want it to be. It doesn't go as fast as I want it to be. And then and I begin to wonder, like, is anybody else going to invest at the same level I'm investing? Or I'm the, am I the only one, right? Um, I don't know if, if, this is, if this is clear to you what, what I'm confessing to you, but what I'm confessing to you is an issue with self-centeredness. 
you know, pride, I suppose you could say. Like, who invests something and then just and then starts thinking about themselves? <laughs> Except for somebody who's really jacked up and sinful. You know, I mean, if I'm going to invest in something, I don't need to think about me, and I don't need to think about, you know, is anybody else going to be just like me? How prideful and arrogant is that? Um, <laughs> or do I have the energy? I mean, sometimes those are good questions to ask, but how about, you know, hey, I'm just going to give this because I know God's called me to uh, give this and invest, and, and I'm going I'm to spend the cost on it, and I'm going to trust the God's going to give me the energy and the resources, and keep my eyes on him. We're going to be good, yo, right? That's the way it should be. That's not the way that it is for me all the time, right? I would imagine, is there anybody else here that can identify with me? Four of us. Okay, we're good. We're good. I'm going to keep preaching to you four. Think about, uh, think about the leadership aspect. Think about this number two, right? Uh, building something requires leadership, right? It's like, duh, no-brainer. Let me ask this. Well, what, what, what has your experience with leadership been like? Now, I'm not asking what has your experience with other leaders out there been like. I'm asking you, what has your own experience in leading been like? Um, well, what's some of the peaks and the valleys and the ups and the downs? And a lot, a lot of us, a lot of times, are like, well, I don't see myself as a leader. Um, can I just, like, encourage you to maybe just step into that box with me and go, okay, for a few minutes, I'll think of myself as a leader? What's, what's been your experience in that? Because here's the reality. I was thinking about it this way. Nothing gets done until leaders step up to the plate and say, hey, here I am. Uh, send me. I'll get this done. I'll do it, right? Nothing gets done until somebody does this. So I don't care who you are, where you're at, even if you're janitorial somewhere cleaning toilets and you're leading, right? You have responsibility. You're putting talent to, to work. In verses 8 and 9, that's what you see, right? You see a whole bunch of leadership structure. One scholar, author say, hey, you know, the book of Ezra um, is definitely about leadership uh, in many ways. Um, it's not less than that, but it's definitely more than that. I'm not going to chase the statement down a whole bunch right now. I'm just going to say it's definitely more than that, but it's never less than that. I mean, there are a lot of great leadership principles you can learn from the book for sure. Okay? It's a whole bunch of leadership structure in verses 8 and 9, right? It starts out with two dudes whose names I cannot pronounce again. I had to actually go to my Bible app and let it read it to me and listen to how the Bible app pronounced it so that I can then practice it so I can stand in front of you and seem halfway intelligible, right? So <coughs> whoever those two guys are, they're, they're like the core two, man. They jumped up. They're like, yo, we got to get this done. And it even says something like they, they, they began a work together or something along those lines. Like, yeah, that's a, that's a fancy term for being like, hey, yo, the uh, temple's still a mess and nobody's doing it, so let's go. So those two guys get to work, and what they do is they don't start doing the work itself necessarily. They start gathering other leaders around them. They start kind of building themselves a core team, so to speak. Okay? They're gathering these guys. They're appointing dudes from 20 years old on up. Like They're taking some young cats and going, hey, you need to get your butt to work because if you don't, you're probably going to get in trouble anyways. I don't know if that's what they were saying, but the work needed to be done. So they put them to work. Various aspects of this building project. You know, if you've ever turned wrenches, which I know a few of you do, or if you ever swung a hammer, which I'm pretty sure some of you do, stood behind a cash register, unloaded beer trucks, <laughs> driven delivery trucks, yeah. or some of you try to keep a classroom of crazy kids under control, I don't, you guys I don't, I don't envy in any way. That's rough. That was a rough calling. <clears throat> Any, whatever kind of work you do, here's, here's what I think you and I both know. Um, we know that a hard day's work leaves you tired at the end of the day, right? But you also know this. Um, you also know that those hard days of work that you invest in those areas, they, they require you and others around you to be faithful, hardworking leaders. Now, if you're going to make it anywhere, if you're going to get anything done, you've got to be who you say you are. You've got to do what you say you're going to do. Craziness is this, no matter how faithful, no matter how hard of a worker you are, don't you still have those days when you get lazy? I do, you know. Mismanage your time, maybe. 
Uh, fail to plan ahead. Sometimes that's things catch me off guard that really shouldn't have caught me off guard, you know, such as my alarm clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? It happens. The same stuff happens when you're trying to build things like families or ministries or friendships or marriages. Same thing happens when you're trying to build a relationship with God, right? You get lazy. And why do we get lazy? I, I get lazy because I'm sinful. I think that's probably the predicament we're all in. We get lazy because we're sinful. Got, got a tendency at times to become self-centered. Instead of actually investing what needs to be invested as, as a leader, I begin to consume. I become a leech, right? It's all about what I get out of this rather than what God has called me to put into this. And then, and then what happens is, is I quit leading faithfully in those moments. Like, you know what that's like when you experience how hard it is to remain faithful as a leader, keep your head in the game when the going gets tough? Those are rough moments, I think. Truth be told, too, in those moments, it's much easier to play the blame game and blame somebody else. Like, well, the wife, or, well, the boss, or the coworker or those kids in the classroom, <laughs> you know. Or the church members. I mean, you know, it's... Start playing the blame game for my own failures. It's probably just about as simple. So faithful leadership is definitely something that's required when you're trying to build stuff. Think about... Um, Think about the focus that it takes, too. It's kind of the last piece that I saw in the text. You think about the focus that it takes when you're building something. Let me ask this question. How focused are you right now on what God wants to build in you? Let me ask it again. How focused are you on what God wants to build in you? Maybe through you, too, but definitely in you. What does he want to build in you right now? We're sitting in our uh, before church meeting with some of our leaders and um, one of the girls in there kind of answered uh, the question uh, that Patrick was asking, like, hey, what, what's God been speaking to you? And, and uh, one of them was just like, hey, I think God's trying to teach me how to be patient and quit attacking people. <laughs> and I think it was one of my kids that said that, go figure. <laughs> yeah. And there were, there were lots of great answers around, around the, uh, the room. What's God wanting to build in you? Because here's the theme, building something can definitely be costly, building something definitely requires leadership, but at the end of the day, building something also requires an intense focus on what's most important, right? If you look at verses 10 through 13 in our text for today, you see how the builders wind up finishing the temple foundation, and the people then respond to the progress they see, agreed? The temple itself is not rebuilt yet, but the foundation is finished. And so the people respond, how? Well, by holding this good old-fashioned outdoor praise and worship service, right? That's basically what it is. The priests all roll in on their Harleys. <laughs> no. <laughs> the way I envision it, you know? Like, I love when I, when I hear Tony, <laughs> I'm sidetracked, sorry. When I hear Tony recite the Apostles' Creed, <laughs> he talks about how Jesus is going to come back on his Harley, <laughs> his white Harley with his white cloak. Well, anyways, these guys all roll in, right? They, they got their Sunday best on, right? The band's playing a bunch of lively music, got the cymbals clanging together. I think we should get a cymbal, by the way. No, I know we have electric ones. Everybody's singing songs, right? And what are they singing songs about? They're singing songs about the goodness of God's steadfast, eternal love towards his people, right? And some scholars would say, think about this, some scholars would say that there might have been upwards of 100,000 people in attendance. That's Memorial Stadium times two now, right? Or is there, a, can you get 100,000 in there? Anybody know? It's 70. So it's almost times two. If you've ever been to Memorial Stadium, holy smokes. That's alive. When we're winning. Which we'll pray later for this. There might have been upwards of 100,000 people in attendance, right? Singing and shouting as they're praising God in the midst of this building project. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine 100,000 people shouting and praising God, not because the Huskers got a touchdown, right? But they're praising God because of what he's done. Can you imagine the excitement and the energy that even you even think about it like this, like the forward momentum, right? If you've ever even just watched it on TV, you can kind of sense that, you know, you, you, you score a touchdown or, or, or they get a, 
and they get an interception and like all the momentum shifts, right? <coughs> That's what's taking place here, man. The momentum is forward feeling. I think it would have been so tangible you can almost like drink it through a straw. That's what I think. Everybody for miles around. You ever been in Lincoln Memorial Stadium is going crazy? You can hear it halfway across town. Everybody for miles around can hear what's happened. A thought in my mind as I read that and I think about it is it's like, man, nothing could stop this building project now, right? Absolutely nothing. Like, they're on a roll. They have the money. They have the resources. They got the right team of leaders. Man, they're all built up perfect. You know, they're, they're organized. They even got 20-year-olds supervising this. How many 20-year-olds do we have supervising major projects like that today? This is an absolute miracle, Right? Foundation's finished. They're throwing this big old-fashioned party to celebrate and give thanks to God. The question is, what could possibly go wrong here? It's gut-wrenching for me to tell you that this whole thing comes to a screeching halt after this. For the next 17 years. 17 years. Why? Why does everything come to a screeching halt? Now, if you were to look into the next couple of chapters, you'd see they definitely face some opposition from their enemies. Opposition from enemies is always a tough thing. Um, but there's also something much more subtle in the text <coughs> that you won't pick up right away. But I think when you see it, you'll be like, whoa, that was there. It's kind of veiled, but if you look at verse 12 with me for a minute, I don't think I have it up on the screen, but if you look at verse 12, it says that amidst the joyful praise, right, all the shouting praises taking place, many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. So what does this tell us? You do a little bit more digging, do a little bit more study, here's what you find. You'll find a book in the Bible called Haggai, that's the prophet Haggai, whose name is mentioned in chapter 5, verse 1 of this book. So it's like a 17-year gap in between the end of chapter 3 and a few chapters later. It's the book of Haggai, and Haggai is a prophet, and he's prophesying against Israel. He's confronting them. He's saying, hey, you ain't doing what you said you were going to do. You're not who you said you were. And he's confronting them all throughout that book. And what that book, what that prophecy reveals is this. The priests, the Levites, the heads of the fathers' houses, these old men who were weeping right now because the new temple is never going to be as glorious as the old one. They're weeping because they missed the good old days so much that they actually influenced the entire nation of Israel. This small little group of men influenced like 100,000 people to just lay the work down and quit doing what they've been called to do. They lose focus on the fact that they just got set free by God. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, it's nutty. I've got to this miraculous thing, right? Sets them free, sends them back, does it through the pagan king. And they get there and they're like, oh man, it's never going to be as good as the good old days. They lost focus on the fact that they've been set free by the God who loves to rebuild broken people because they listen to voices from the past. That's what, that's what happens. I hate to end the text that way, but that's the way it is. In conclusion, you're like, what? Yeah. In conclusion, and I have to confess, I probably lose my focus on what's important more often than I even realize. I, I would think that the things that I know God actually wants to do, what, what he wants to rebuild in my life, you know, they typically those things probably stall out, not, not because God is actually unable to do the work, but probably more likely because I stop investing or I become unfaithful as a leader or I just get distracted from what's important and I wind up wandering off into sinful patterns again. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but voices from the past are, are super powerful little enemies. Whether that's voices from the past of your own sin, your own jacked up mess that you created, or it's voices from the past that somebody else created. Somebody, we lived in a jacked up broken world, so it's either 
you making a mess or somebody else making a mess for you, whatever it is, those voices from the past can be powerful little enemies. But here's the thing. This is the beauty of the gospel, okay? You might be like, really? This is what you got to? This is the beauty of the gospel, and the point of the gospel is Jesus, okay? Uh, Here, let me say, if if we were just like a three points to pump you up kind of a church, or if we were just like a four points to improve your life kind of a church, as if the Bible actually supports that kind of preaching anyways, right? If that's who we were, I'd just leave off right now, challenge all of you to go invest more, give more, lead more, stay more focused, right? Good moralistic, pull up your boots by the bootstraps and just get your butt to work kind of a message, um, but the problem, I think you and I probably instinctively know deep down inside that I think is just good to air for laundry's sake is this. <laughs> we all know when we walk out of here, we're all going to fail in at least one of these areas, if not all three, in the next five minutes, right? Um, this is why the gospel is so very important. Like I said. The Bible, which displays the gospel, speaks of a man named Jesus. And everything in the Bible and everything about the gospel is all about Jesus. And Donnie said this so well at the beginning of his message a couple weeks back when he talked about the temple. Really what the temple is about, it's about the presence of the Father. It's really about the presence of the Father. It's about being in the presence of a Father who loves you and is good. Well, many of us in this room know what it's like to have a piss-poor father or have an absentee father or a passive father or an angry father. The building of the temple was all about God providing a way for us to come into a good father's presence. You see, when it comes to the cost of building something, I know a man named Jesus who gave his life on a cross. He didn't care about the cost. In fact, he, he was more than willing to spend what was needed to be spent on that cross. His very life, so that your life and my life could be rebuilt. So that we could be set free and transformed. Listen, uh, when it comes to faithful leadership, when you think about that principle, man. I, I know this man named Jesus, and he never made a mistake in leadership. It's absolutely crazy to me right like he never patted his time card he never cut corners never called in sick because he was out late partying last night he he never used other leaders as stepping stones to get to the top right that's jesus when it comes to intense focus when you think about this idea that to build things to build the kingdom now we read we sang that song earlier right build your kingdom Jesus is the king, the builder of that kingdom. And, and at the end of the day, he stayed intensely focused. He never got caught up with lamenting the past. In fact, he just knew, like, my father sent me here from that perfect place in heaven to this filthy, sin-soaked place called earth so I can give my life away from my enemies so that they can become family. It's nuts. You get me to lay my life down for an enemy, that's rough. I don't, I, I don't know. I lay my life, life, life down for my wife or my brothers or sisters or kids, but for my enemies, it's not, it's, not how, it's not how we're taught. Jesus comes, gives his life for his enemies. Never got cut up with lamenting the past. Like, man, I just wish I could get back to heaven faster, Father. Oh, man, that's not, that wasn't the way it was. He was always about what his father was doing right now in the work of redemption. This is why the the scriptures teach us that Jesus set his face like a stone as he headed towards Jerusalem with his heart full of joy. Why would his heart full of joy be full of joy? Why would his face be set like a stone towards Jerusalem? Because that's the place where the altar was set up in the form of a cross. And he was going to be the sacrificial lamb that went and hung on that cross for you and I. That's the picture. He's ready to die on that cross for broken sinners like you and me. No matter how dirty, no matter how filthy, no matter how broken, no matter what kind of stupid stuff you did last night or this morning. He's a friend of sinners. That's what got him crucified, really. Right? 
here's the thing. If Israel could have held on to these truths that God had just set them free, that he had redeemed them from slavery and captivity, instead of listening to the voices from the past, they would have praised God wholeheartedly. See, when Israel sang to the Lord in verse 11, what they were doing is they were praising God because why? He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And at the end of the day, when you and I remain focused on the fact that the bloody cross and the empty tomb and the hope of heaven is proof of our Father's never-ending love towards us, then, and I think only then, are we positioned to be rebuilt by the master builder who loves to restore and who loves to rebuild people out of the ash heaps of the brokenness of sin. That's our Father in heaven. That's what he does. That's his business. So while I asked at the beginning of this message, what, what do you think God's calling you to build? I really want to ask that a different way. I want to flip that on its head as we close. What is God actually wanting to rebuild in you? Some addiction you've been facing, some brokenness in a relationship, struggle in your marriage. Pride deep down inside of you. Blame shifting, whatever it may be, man. What's God wanting to rebuild in you in these moments? And let me ask this too. Are you willing to surrender to him? Are you willing to let him do that work? Willing to trust him and rely on him to do that? The only way you're going to be able to is if you take a spot at the foot of a bloody cross. Not, not, not a clean cross, a bloody, horrific cross. Remembering that he died for you with your picture in his pocket, your name on his lips. And you take a place, take a, take a kneel down at the foot of that bloody cross. You spend some time looking through the doorway of an empty tomb and realize, my Savior ain't dead. He beats Satan's sin in the grave. And you want to talk about getting like amped up because of an interception. Man, the empty tomb is what gets me jacked up. It's like, that's my God. There ain't nothing I'm ever going to face that's going to going to derail me because my God has a hold on me. My God is alive. He leaves tombs empty. He beats our enemies. Satan may be scary, but I know who gets the last word. Sin may be devastating hard, but I know who left the tomb empty. Death may loom at some point, but I know what's on the other side of that grave. It's you and me, if you trust in Jesus, standing in righteous perfection. I can't wait. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would come in our closing moments and minister to us by the power of your Spirit. Lead us to the foot of that cross. Position us in the doorway of that empty tomb. Help us, Father, to submit and surrender to you the work that you'd like to do in us. Lord, trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.